everybody. Welcome back to Stay Healthy New England, your number one podcast for health and wellness expertise with a particular focus on alternative therapy and chronic pain. It will provide you with tools and resources to help you and your family live the vibrant lives you were created for. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Papa, woman's health and myofascial expert trained physical therapist, successful business owner, and best-selling author from Rhode Island. Each month, I'll be calling upon the expertise of qualified professionals in health, fitness, nutrition, and emotional well-being to bring you the most cutting-edge health information, giving you the tools you need to start living your best life today. And I'm happy and excited to have Dr. Marcy Crouch with us today. She's a physical therapist. She specializes in women's health, receiving her doctorate from the University of Southern California and has gone on to complete extensive training in women's health. She focuses on treating things like pelvic floor dysfunction, pregnancy and postpartum, musculoskeletal issues, as well as breast cancer, rehab, and so much more. Marcy, uh, welcome and thank you so much for being here with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. And your your uh, clinic is called Restorative Pelvic Physical Therapy. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, sure. So I opened up a practice um, in 2018 um, that is a private practice um, in the Los Angeles area. And um, it was just me. My husband um, had moved to LA for work and I had decided that, that was kind of the time for me to hang a shingle and see how it went. Um, so I was the um, sole practitioner there. I kind of ran everything from admin to billing to patient care, you know, marketing, that sort of thing. Um, and I saw mainly my population kind of varied, but mainly it was a lot of um, pregnancy, postpartum, kind of new mamas um, coming in, kind of figuring out how to how to heal and recover fully from their pregnancies. Um, so uh, diagnoses ranged from, you know, back pain during pregnancy to leaking urine to C-section scar pain. Um, to constipation, pain with sex or tampon use. And then I had a a lot of women come in, which I loved treating, who were um, pregnant and didn't have any symptoms, but wanted to prepare for delivery, learn how to push, do pelvic, yeah, it was great, do pelvic floor, um, you know, kind of perineal perineal massage and um, prep basically for delivery. And then making sure that what they were doing exercise wise during their pregnancy was safe and appropriate for their level um, and kind of, you know, the best um, program possible for their pregnancy and their delivery because everybody is so different. The kind of standard cookie cutter approach to pregnancy fitness, you know, doesn't always apply. So, um, so that was great. It was super proactive. And then I would see them back after baby and, um, get them back going on what they needed to be doing. So, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of practice. I actually sold it, um, just earlier in this year, we moved out of state for my husband's job. So another public floor PT kind of took over the space and my caseload. Um, so it's still out there in LA. It's just operating under a different name. I still own the name in case I decide to open here in Alabama. But, um, as of right now, um, and with COVID and everything going on, I'm, I'm not seeing patients <laughs> in person. Um, but hopefully that will change and, you know, we'll get back in the clinic at some point. Well, I love your, your, you know, mission, if you will. It's very similar to ours here at Arantia, you know, that you believe in educating patients and I'm really empowering them to be active participants. You know, you don't do anything cookie cutter. It's all personal. Right. 
and it's tailored to each you know type of patient that comes in and as it should be yeah yeah it's super important I just think kind of at least for me when I was a patient in PT I never (laughs) did any of like the exercises that were handed to me on a sheet of paper (laughs) I just was like yeah I'm not doing it um so I just really wanted to make the practice focus kind of on the individual needs and what is doable for patients in their current life and their current lifestyle and if that means you know five minutes of exercise a day then we will tailor a program around that or if it's like functional stuff we'll do that right away so I just I really wanted pelvic floor PT to be more palatable and more accessible for people so they didn't feel like especially new moms who have a baby there's no way that you can get out of the house and go to PT appointments or, you know, get down on the ground and do 45 minutes of exercise. You know, it's like everything revolves around the nap schedule and the feeding schedule and, you know, all this stuff. So I just really wanted it to make it not seem like such a barrier or such like a chore or a new, you know, an additional job that new moms have to do. Um, So I, I hope that's what I did. (laughs) I hope that's how they felt, but, um, but yeah, so it was really, it was really great kind of being out on my own for a while. Oh, it sounds great. And um, thank God for, for telehealth for these new moms. So at least mm-hmm. they have some way of, yeah. of getting there. Um, but on that note, for all those listening, Marcy and I met on the New Age platform of Instagram recently. <laughs> and I uh, first noticed her page. Her, her page is called The Down There Doc on Instagram. Go ahead and give her a follow. It's an awesome awesome um very well put together page and thank you uh yeah it's it's just visually attracting and it makes you kind of want to read more after you see the images so i saw a post of hers and it was a picture of a a pad you know a liner and it had you know glitter on it and i'm like oh this is different um but no words so of course my mind's like well what is she saying about this <laughs> um, no so, so you go on that post and check it out it talks about how a lot of women you know these days whether you're a new mom or you know you're in your mid-50s baby boomer age or even older are you know just kind of resorting to covering up something like stress incontinence or leaking uh or even mixed incontinence with pads and as a you know woman's health therapist that's it's such a frustrating thing to hear and read, you know, as mm-hmm. we know, there are so many holistic hands-on approaches that can save you so much money down the line in the long run, if you think about it, using pads daily. Mm-hmm. Um, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that post and, and uh, for everybody listening. Yeah, so it's it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky <laughs> um, being a pelvic floor PT because we do rely on products like pads, um, specifically pads that are designed to collect urine. Um, Those are different than menstrual pads. And women who are experiencing urinary leakage, and if they need to be wearing a pad, um, they really should be wearing a pad that is designed for urine versus menstrual blood um, for lots of different reasons. One is just basic skin hygiene. Um, There's a lot more fluid that comes out with urine versus blood and the urinary pads are designed to like wick that moisture away so your fragile vulvar tissue isn't like sitting in damp pee all day um and usually with urinary 
leakage, and we'll talk more about this later, um, it comes out quickly and larger amounts. And the menstrual pads aren't designed to absorb um, like that fast release of fluid. It kind of just spills over the pad versus being absorbed into the actual um, contents of the pad. So, you know, if it's like, if somebody has to wear a pad, a urinary pad, so they are able to leave the house and exercise and engage in social activities and do things for themselves and, you know, not be depressed or anxious about leaving the house because they're afraid that they're going to, you know, pee through their pants, then yes, like you should be wearing a pad, you know, like I'd much rather have you be wearing a pad than, you know, be isolated at home. And we know that increasing urinary incontinence perpetuates the cycle of postpartum depression and anxiety because a lot of times you don't want to leave the house you can't get back to exercise it's just like this whole new situation and you know we want women to feel supported and not alone so like put a pad on and go outside that's fine but the problem that I have is that the marketing message for a lot of these urinary pad companies is that The message is like, oh, well, this is just how it is now. And so like, we're going to design these products for you so you can just deal with it. And like, instead of going from a thick pad to a thin pad, you continue to buy more pads that are thicker and bigger and pads that look like underwear. And like now all of a sudden it's like for the rest of your life, you're buying lots of different pads. Um, and that's like what the companies want. And if you walk into Target or CVS, you'll see that the aisles are full of continence products for both men and women. I mean, it's like a huge industry. So yes, they are important. And if, and I, you know, all truth be told, I have a little bit of stress incontinence after my two babies. I've been working on it for, you know, the last couple of years. And there are instances where I have to throw on a liner, um, if I've been sick for a while and coughing a lot and I need something like that for sure. But my goal is always to decrease the use of that liner, get into a thinner one, get off of it, do those activities that were causing leakage without a pad down the road and we use that in therapy as like some goal setting for example you know if a woman comes in and she's like i'm saturating you know two pads a day or you know i'm saturating one full pad when i run for 20 minutes the goal is to get down 50 percent. for example you know you're only using one pad or you can go for you know a two mile run without needing a pad or you know that that sort of thing so Although the pads are important in one aspect, in my opinion, it's not a treatment um, and they're being marketed as a way to just like, well, you know, you're a woman and leaking pee is part of being a woman and this is how it is now. So here are these things to manage it when in fact it's not really getting to the source of the issue. It's not talking about, you know, the goal of decreasing the use of pads, obviously. Um, So, so that was kind of the inspiration for the post really in a long winded answer. I just wanted people to understand that yes, these products are important and yes, we do use them in the clinic and recommend them, but it, the mindset of this is normal because it's so common or this is part of being a woman is really, I think, damaging to women, first of all. And secondly, it's just another example of 
pushing women's concerns kind of under the rug and just giving them a band-aid for it. Um, I mean, in no other circumstance in the athletic population would we say, you know, like, oh, yeah, your shoulder like still hurts, you know, after shoulder surgery, but just put like kinesio tape on it and keep (laughs) throwing a football you know what I mean it's like you have to rehab it (laughs) like the goal is to get off of those supportive devices right and have correct mechanics and strength and function and endurance and you know posture and all those things and the same principle should be applied to leaking pee and the pelvic floor so um I just don't agree with and appreciate the message of like it's just part of being a woman because it's not I mean it's very common one in four women are experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction um and that number increases as we get older but that doesn't mean that 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 the system is normal or functioning optimally um so that was that's kind of the reasoning behind that um but it's tricky I mean you have to kind of be careful (laughs) about what you know I'm not trying to like throw anybody under the bus but I do think that the pad companies um you know like what's the ulterior motive here and and why are we telling women that um that's just how it is now you know well Um, a lot of these different uh product lines are trying to you know have a message of uh you know keeping the the buyer's um dignity and sure emotional they're they're playing on the emotions of it um smart marketing so you know it's it's where is the and this is a this is another reason why i'm doing this you know these types of podcasts really just get the word out that the first line of defense you know should be seeing a a woman's health specialist who you know might say hey that's okay that you're using you know a liner for now but our goal can definitely be to get you off those and make you feel um you know vulnerable to having to use them constantly but to have a clear defined goal and a timeline to to achieve it right and if it's and if it's even like possible you know there are some patients who you know like maybe physical therapy isn't appropriate for them or we've tried it and there's lots of other factors that aren't you know kind of in our favor and you know surgery may be an option and pads may be an option and like that's perfectly fine you know that's like perfectly fine like I just want women to be able to choose what they want to be doing and not be told that they have to be now they had a baby and now they're peeing so like now for the rest of your life until you know you die you'll have to be wearing these pads um so like that's I'm just like I hate like I just don't like that and honestly most women don't like that either and now in the age of social media and doing a lot of kind of self-advocacy and research you know women are saying like I don't like that answer I don't accept that what else what are what are my other options like I don't want to be wearing this and then they'll come in and tell me that and then they'll say like, oh, I talked to my mom about it. And my mom would be like, oh, yeah, I've like been wearing those for 20 years. <laughs> you know, I've been wearing those for 30 years. And they're just like, oh, my God. And you're totally OK with that. Like, so it's just it's definitely changing. The landscape is changing, which is encouraging for sure. And, you know, like I said, the products are helpful and they should be used when necessary. Um, they, I just feel that there needs to be options and choices. Yeah. yeah. It's a common thing that we treat here, like we were talking about earlier, is is stress incontinence. And I know a lot of times it is a reflex that can be trained along with uh, pelvic floor muscles uh, control training. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's, it's, it's important things to keep track of, um, you know, your habits, your dysfunctional bladder habits. And I'll go over just a couple of those and then we'll segue into some more specific questions for um, Dr. Marcy about uh, incontinence. So just some things to keep in mind for dysfunctional bladder habits that you might have. Any of the following are, you know, really could lead to long lasting troubles. And a couple of those things are just in case peeing. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're going out to check the mail and, and you're, you know, your, your mailbox is at the way end of the driveway and you think maybe I need to just go to the bathroom because you have, you know, that, um, sensation, then try not to. Try to really only go if you really have to go. Um, no repetitive just in case, because that leads to dysfunctional habits and you know this programmed response for the bladder to basically empty before it's ready. Um, another one is straining to pee. A lot of times people will tell us here that they're forcing the urine out and uh, it doesn't really come from a relaxed place of the pelvic floor and that's not healthy. Um, semi-squatting on the toilet is another one. Uh, and I know this is a whole nother podcast probably, but if you're in a public place, try to, um, cover it, cover the toilet, um, down so that you can sit comfortably and have your pelvic floor muscles relax. Um, again, we were just talking about this one, but try not to do your Kegel exercises on the toilet. If you have been prescribed those exercises by a woman's health therapist, um, it, it might confuse your bladder and muscles by doing them on the toilet. Uh, so it's better to just do toileting, you know, for the, don't, don't mix the two. Don't strengthen while you're trying to relax those muscles. Um, and then a couple other ones for good healthy habits would be to, like I said, sit all the way down in the toilet when you have to use the bathroom. Uh, you know, urinate every three to four hours on average try to avoid constipation of course um and position when you're in you know position into a slight forward tilt of the pelvis with a nice straight spine so that you know you're not curling your tailbone underneath you because that'll place a little bit more pressure on the pelvic organs and it might not again allow you to fully relax the pelvic floor muscles um, and with that in mind, we're going to talk about now incontinence with pregnancy. So, Dr. Marcy, is, is that common for you? Do you find, a, you know, incontinence with pregnancy? Yeah, I yeah, I do. I mean, I think um, I, we tend to... So, yes and no. But, but yeah, <laughs> so we tend to see it a little bit um, later in pregnancies in women who have not experienced pelvic floor issues or incontinence prior to their pregnancy. Um, And so, you know, just as a quick reminder, incontinence is basically the involuntary loss of urine um, when you don't want it to come out. And so that can happen either with like a laugh, cough, sneeze, and that's stress incontinence, or it can happen when the bladder is full um, and you get that urge and you just can't quite make it to the bathroom in time. We call that urge incontinence. So from a demand standpoint, if you're just looking at kind of physics and just mechanical demand on the pelvic floor, it makes sense that we start to see um, 
issues like stress incontinence later in pregnancy because there's just a lot of load placed on those muscles. Um, you have the growing baby, you have the growing placenta, you have an increase in blood volume, you have an increase in weight gain, um, your bladder is squished forward, like plastered to your pubic bone because the baby is taking up all the space in the abdominal cavity. Um, and your pelvic floor just gets tired by the end of the pregnancy. I mean, it's skeletal muscle. It's the same stuff as like your biceps and your quads. And um, so it, it's at the it's kind of at the same propensity for fatigue and overuse and endurance issues, just like you would have shin splints, for example, after a long run. Um, same kind of idea. So if you think about that sort of load that's been placed on the pelvic floor for, you know, nine months during a pregnancy, um, you're going to see a little bit more incontinence towards kind of the end of the pregnancy. Now, in women who have had leaking after their first deliveries, for example, or second deliveries, then they might experience leaking earlier in a subsequent pregnancy. And I see that um, a lot as well. Or if they get sick during a pregnancy and they have a you know, cold or the flu and they've been coughing and sneezing a lot, again, that's just more downward pressure on the pelvic floor. And that will um, contribute to a little bit of um, just too much pressure down there. Um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, again, common, but not normal. Um, but it can be helped with therapy a hundred percent. Um, I see lots of women who come in. That's usually why they seek me out is that they're, you know, peeing during their pregnancies and they're not happy about it. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, of an uphill battle, um, because we're competing against load and time as the baby is getting bigger. Um, but we definitely can make a difference and it's going to set you up for better recovery postpartum because you're already kind of doing the things that we should be doing after baby and we've got those like motor programs in place which is super important um and um and we also want to get ready for delivery and kind of like prep the pelvic floor as much as possible and you know teach the patient the difference between doing a pelvic floor contraction versus a pelvic floor relaxation or a bearing down um movement which is what we need for for delivery um so yeah so super common i mean with me with my second one i um i was pregnant with my second baby and i remember i was um in the grocery store and I think I was like 32 or 33 weeks pregnant or something like that and I was wearing rain I was wearing leggings and rain boots because we lived in Portland at the time and it was like where you just wear rain boots all the time and I had a full cart of groceries and I sneezed and I just like peed everywhere like all down and it went like down into my black leggings and like into my rain boots uh, uh. and I was like oh my god and I was just like standing in the middle of the grocery store I'm like what do I do oh my god um but I mean and I'm a public PD, you know, so it's like happens to me too. Um, but that did not happen with my first pregnancy at all. It was definitely more um, with the second one, and I had big babies both both times. Um, so more common, I think, in subsequent pregnancies and kind of towards the end. Yeah, and like you mentioned just a minute ago, um, you know that if you haven't had the the issue prior to pregnancy, whether first or second, um, you know what what is typical that you know, how do, how do people come to find the service if, if they don't know that it could happen? Um, during their pregnancy, you mean? As yeah. Like an, well, I think a couple things. I think that they talk to their friends and they're like, oh my God, I just peed, you know, when I was like 
picking up my toddler or I just peed when I sneezed and they'll say like, oh, me too, because that's very, very common. Um, and either, you know, their friends will be like, oh, I heard about pelvic floor PT or I saw a pelvic floor PT or I heard a pelvic floor PT talk on, you know, um, like at my mom's group where they'll mention something to their physician. And, um, you know, sometimes the OBs or the midwives will say something about physical therapy. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't or they'll say like, oh, well, it doesn't make sense to do it now. You know, it's you're just gonna it's not gonna do anything for you now you might as well wait till the end of the pregnancy or I've heard sometimes um, healthcare providers will say like don't do it at all until you're done having babies and even then it won't help so you might as well just have surgery um, so you know I've heard lots of things but I think you know like I said earlier nowadays people are doing a lot of their own research and doing a lot of kind of um, investigating online and on blogs and social media and they're finding that this is something that's available to them. Um, I rarely would get physician referrals at my practice in LA, um, maybe one every three months. Most of my caseload was all self-referral. They found me on Instagram, found me online, read my blogs, had a yep. friend that saw me. When I, yeah, I never... I mean, I, I didn't really market to the physicians because I, I knew that most of my um, patients were coming from word of mouth and direct to consumer stuff. So I didn't really, um, I didn't really need to um, in that, in that setting. Um, so I think it's just a lot of self, self-referral and people being like, I don't like this. What are my op- options? You know? Right. Just taking their health into their own hands a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what should be happening anyway. Absolutely. A um, couple, a couple things that come up here regularly that I'll that I'll have you address. Some are myths for sure that childbirth can weaken the bladder. Mm-hmm. You know, that's. Can you talk about you know age with that? Sure. Um, like age of the of the patient. Of yeah. The, yeah. Um, so, I mean, when you say weaken the bladder, we kind of have to like be cognizant of like nomenclature here. So a lot of times people say like, oh, I have a weak bladder. Oh, I have a small bladder. And like, oh my, you know, it's my bladder. And there is a muscle that goes around the bladder called the detrusor. And this is the muscle that basically um, contracts and pushes urine out via that contraction. So as the bladder is filling, in a perfect world the detrusor muscle is lengthening so the bladder can fill like a balloon with urine and during that time the pelvic floor muscles which sit at the bottom um, around the vaginal canal and around the urethra are contracting to counteract that pressure and then the opposite happens when we make the decision to void when we go to sit down to pee the pelvic floor muscles relax and the detrusor muscle around the bladder contracts and pushes urine out in a perfect world. Um, so if somebody, you know, says they has a weak bladder, quote unquote, like a young, healthy female is saying they have a weak bladder, you know, what does that mean exactly? Um, what are they referring to? And oftentimes it's more the pelvic floor muscles and the muscles that surround the sphincters um, to the urethra and the bladder may be um, weak or 
oftentimes they can be too tight or too short and that therefore not performing correctly so urine is um, leaking out um, or there's like a coordination problem like there's a little bit of dysfunctional contraction and relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles and this person let's just say this is like a healthy female no babies young you know maybe in their 20s they might have had experiences kind of throughout their life that's giving us clues to what their bladder and pelvic floor is doing like you know maybe they always had a big urge to pee and only a little bit comes out you know or maybe they're peeing frequently like every you know 15 20 minutes maybe they can't get through a movie maybe they're just always feeling that urge to pee and maybe that's what they're coordinating with like a weak bladder um so it's it's hard to say exactly but i mean childbirth will definitely put more demand on the pelvic floor muscles which then can contribute to kind of like a low tone pelvic floor dysfunction you know prolapse leaking urine you know that sort of thing um but the detrusor muscle around the bladder might be fine um it's just more of like a load kind of physics issue on the pelvic floor muscles yeah, absolutely. A lot of times women who see me don't always know, you know, if they are contracting the muscle correctly. Yeah, totally. Aging abdominals or inner thighs or maybe the gluteals um, just to compensate and they're not sure if they're, the pelvic floor is, is included in that, but right. Um, right. why they be a pelvic therapist so we can guide them, you know, as best as possible for internal uh, retraining. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's actually been studies published on women who are just verbally instructed on how to do kegels and you know it's a very high number of them performing them incorrectly oh yes yeah so um so it, it, it's hard to do don't just go through them yeah no, right exactly don't just you know squeeze your vagina out of stoplight it's like very they're very hard to do and it, it, there's a lot of moving pieces that you know people don't realize um so i think you know, it definitely behooves, you know, someone to just get the correct instruction. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if nobody teaches you how to do it, how are you going to know? I mean, it's not like a, it's not like a, your bicep where you can just look at your bicep and be like, oh, I'm contracting my bicep. I'm bringing my hand to my shoulder. Like that's what a bicep contraction is. With a pelvic floor, it's so much different. You can't see it. It's in a different plane. It's bilateral. Like there's all these factors that make it very challenging. And there's no reason to feel like, oh, I should know how to do this because you shouldn't. I mean, especially if there was, you know, a pregnancy or a surgery or a trauma or something like that. It, it definitely disrupts kind of the normal um, motor programming down there. So it's, it's very hard to do. Um, and I work on it all the time. Likewise. Yeah. One of the things we do here when we have our in-house workshops, women's health workshops, is we have everybody, you know, do them together by basically contracting everything, you know, they're We'll have them contract their feet into the ground as they sit, tighten their fists, their jaw, their thigh, like literally engage everything they can possibly engage. And then we, we literally do that for a half hour. We peel away one layer at a time. So they really get a sense of um, what's contracting and what's not. Um, and it, it's meant to, you know, fatigue you, of course, mm -hmm. but at the same time, peel away. So you get a sense of the different muscle groups that are involved and, uh, I, I think sitting is a, a nice, easy way to to find that group, mm -hmm. the pelvic floor muscle group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's different for everyone, and that's what's so great about PT is that you just figure out what works for you and then go from there. 
Um, and then to speak to the older population, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 50s to 70s and even older, um, what would you, you know, sort of say about, uh, you know, continents in terms of, of making a, a significant change, significant improvement? How, how long does it last and can the effective kegels that might help some help that population yeah i think so i mean i always think it's like worth a shot i mean the risk factors with pt are always so low you know safe conservative there's really no um negative effects of trying pelvic floor pt um oftentimes the combination of pelvic floor pt and medication can be a great one um for the older population if they're experiencing true overactivity of the the detrusor muscle coupled with pelvic floor um, uh, relaxation or weakness for sure. Um, And a lot of times there's dysfunctional voiding or dysfunctional defecation that needs to be kind of retrained from a motor control standpoint. Um, So, I mean, in residency, I had a patient, she was my favorite patient, one of my favorite patients ever. She was like 95. And I saw her and I saw her daughter who was in her 60s, I believe. and they both made great gains. And, you know, do we say you're going to get 100% dry? Probably not. But we can definitely get it to where, um, you know, we might see some improvements or functional improvements or, you know, buy you a little bit of time. Um, you know, sometimes the number one um, reason that older women are admitted into skilled nursing facilities is because of incontinence. And so maybe if we hit it a little bit earlier, that will be delayed or, you know, they'll be safer when they're trying to get out of their bed at night, you know, and rush to the bathroom. If we can delay that, you know, have them not fall or not um, have a problem, you know, not making it to the bathroom at night, um, then that might, you know, give them a little bit more improve quality of life and that sort of thing. So um, we, d- we do see more bladder issues around like menopause and kind of in the in that post-menopausal stage of life due to hormonal components and the loss of estrogen. Um, and oftentimes, you know, uh, people will be wearing um, Depends pads or diaper, adult diapers um, pretty constantly. So you know, from a skin breakdown perspective, we want to get them drier. And from um, a functional perspective, we want to get them drier and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I do think that there are gains to be made. Um, oftentimes it's multidisciplinary. You know, I, I never say like PT is um, like the only thing that will help. Um, but at least if they go in for an assessment, then we can determine what's a reasonable expectation for prognosis and goals and what other team members we need to get on board, whether it be Eurogyne or um, colorectal or, you know, does there need to be medication? Does there need to be topicals? You know, what's happening here? So, yeah, I think any age would benefit and I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, my patient in her 90s started in her 90s, you know, um, and she was, oh, yeah. and she was, she was awesome. So, so I think appropriate for everyone and really should be the first line of defense, um, in my opinion, but I'm biased, of course. Uh, yeah, I agree. So many reasons exist for why these different um, scenarios happen mm-hmm. with everybody. So it's, it's not just pregnancy. There's so many other factors. Mm-hmm. And it is a very, very common issue. So nobody should feel like, you know, they're the odd ones out. It's, right. it's, we need to keep doing this kind of thing and talking about them more, um, you know, and, and making sure that we're all getting into the right hands so that we're doing the right things to address 
mm-hmm. these different uh, issues that come up and and that way the goal for everybody really is to learn more about their body so that they have a better idea of what the true issue is and how they can best stress it without just covering it up right right yeah and I tell my patients all the time I'm like listen you know you know your body best like I'm here to to help you navigate this and like get a plan together and kind of coach you through it but I mean you really my patients know their bodies better than I do um so you really have to work together and kind of figure out what the best course of action is um without assuming that you know every every program is going to work the same for everybody because it definitely won't absolutely individualized and also just maintaining that open communication Mm-hmm. Throughout the whole, you know, therapy experience is really the best thing. And even if you complete your your plan of care, really consider follow up care just for tune ups and check ins. Mm-hmm. We should all be. It's not just like your doctor who requires you to go once a year. There's a lot of things that happen within the course of a year. Right. Uh, we want to future proof our bodies and and really, you know, have the best possible functioning body that we can possibly have for the longest possible time yeah so on that note thank you so so much marcy for sharing your expertise with us um fellow women's health specialist (laughs) happy to (laughs) happy to uh, you've got two little ones to get back to yes much more anytime but real quick just share your um your information with everybody in case uh, they want to follow you or get in touch oh sure sure so my um instagram handle is at the down there doc um and the best email to reach me if um there anybody wants to email me is marcy crouch llc at gmail.com um i'm right in the middle of kind of like rebranding and kind of changing getting a new website together so um my old website was my clinic website, which is restorativepelvicphysicaltherapy.com, and it's still up, and there's still a lot of good information on there, and the blogs are on there, and um, some more kind of like clinic-centered information is found on that site. Um, but I'm working on building a new one and kind of transferring some of that information over. Um, and in the next few months, hopefully, I'll be putting out some online content as well, um, which will be featured on the new website um yeah 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 it's some video content i've actually been trying to do for the last year um and my plan i've been working on it for a long time and i've finally kind of got it where i want it to be and my plan was when we moved here to alabama was that the kids were going to be in preschool and then i wouldn't be in the clinic so i'd have time to start to film this um and then COVID happened and so now i'm like no time to do that because i have the the kids but um hopefully in the next few months you know if things start to kind of um settle down a little bit i'll be able to carve out some time and do that but that will be coming out hopefully soon ish um at least by the end of the year um so that will be featured on the new website too but all of those updates and new information will be on my instagram all the time um whenever i roll that stuff out yeah be responsive on on instagram and email so yeah those are the two best ones reach her there all right well thank you again and everybody uh look out for this episode coming up in the next week so we will share it with everybody okay thank you so much all right bye